everyone. Welcome to the Spring Chiro podcast. I'm Lisa, and today we're taking our first deep dive into how our bodies work. And in particular today, I'll be talking to you about your bones, for which I make no apology. I know as a chiropractor, I am somewhat biased. And in fact, today you will learn exactly what, as a chiropractor, I am trying to do. But I think that many people don't understand just how important their bone health is to the overall health of your body in many ways. I'm sure we all know that our bones and skeletons help keep us upright against gravity and protect the squishy, vulnerable bits like your brain being protected by your skull and your rib cage protecting your heart and lungs. But bones are actually living tissue. They're not just these inert things like rods of metal that form this supportive and protective framework. They are actually dynamic and living and they are changing all the time. And because of this, they have a much much bigger impact on your health than you may know. And they're particularly important in the ways I'm going to talk about over the next couple of episodes. For starters, you may be surprised to learn that your bone health can also actually have a direct impact on your mortality, your lifespan. We all want to live healthier, happier and longer lives, of course. And guess what? High up, very high up on the list of some of the common causes of mortality in the elderly is from falls. But it's not normally the fall that kills them. It's actually any bone fractures that result from the fall. And there really is a direct relationship here to the health of their bones. The statistics are quite staggering. 50% of people older than 80 fall at least once a year. And hip fractures are not uncommon in the elderly after such a fall. In 2021 in the UK, there are 76,000 hip fractures. And That causes problems in a few ways, not least if surgery is needed with all the risks that go along with that, of course. But but even without surgery, at its worst, it leads to complete immobilisation, which carries a higher risk of blood clots, amongst other things. But even at, at the best, it's going to be some reduced mobility for a period of time. And again, the statistics are shocking. At least 20% of people who have fractured a hip die within a year. Some figures actually say it's closer to 35%, but I'll I'll stick with the more conservative figure. 20%, one in five, die within a year. And of those who fractured a hip after a fall, another 20% have to give up their independence and they enter long-term care in the first year after fracturing a hip. So there are huge impacts on both mortality and, and quality of life here. Now, there are many possible causes for the fall in the first place, like balance problems, blood pressure issues, all sorts of things like that. And that's probably stuff for a whole other episode. But whether or not the bone breaks after the fall is truly down to bone health and basically how strong the bones are. Bones that break quite easily, and in particular hip fractures, are most commonly related to a condition called osteoporosis. This directly translates as porous bones. In other words, fragile bones. And this is different, by the way, to brittle bone disease, which is a completely separate thing. It's a specific inherited or genetic disease. But we're talking about osteoporosis, so porous, fragile bones. And if your bones are strong enough, a fall shouldn't really cause them to break. I don't know about you, we've we've all had plenty of falls along the way for one reason or another. And most commonly, you don't break a bone as a result of a fall, especially if you're not elderly. Why is that? Why do our bones seem to get weaker as we age? Well, you're going to learn exactly why that is in the next episode. Because first of all, today I'd like to just take a step back and look at the bigger picture 
and the skeleton as a whole. As I said, the bones, our bones form the framework of our bodies and our skeletons consist of a lot of bones. In fact, we have around 206 bones in our bodies as adults. I say around because everyone's different. There are slight variations between people. So some people have a, an extra bit of bone here or there. Some people have a missing bit of bone here and there. But on the whole, in general, we have 206 bones. And uh, I, I like to ask some of our younger patients when they come into clinic, how if, if they think they have more bones than, in their bodies than I do or fewer bones than I do. Uh, because you might be surprised to hear that babies are born with up to 300 bones. So yes, younger children are often very surprised when I tell them that actually they have more bones than me. And I had an interesting answer for the first time yesterday, actually, a very um, intelligent little six-year-old boy. His answer to my question was that he thought we had the same number of bones. He just said, I just think yours are longer, which I thought was very impressive for that age. But Admittedly, we all have the same 206 bones, but in babies and in children, they're in multiple pieces. So they fuse over time. Anyway, a little bit of good trivia. You'll, you'll find out I like a bit of trivia. So where two bones meet together forms what's called a joint. And joints, quite simply, allow movement between the bones. There are, again, lots of joints in our bodies. We have over 300 joints in our bodies. Again, the exact number varies slightly between individuals. Uh, but if you look, for example, one of your uh, one of your finger knuckles right now, that's one of the very typical joints in your body. And there are two hand or finger bones that meet there, and each one has a little cap of cartilage on it to protect it. And they're held in their position by a joint capsule, just like a membrane that, that surrounds the joint. And there are also ligaments which pass across from one bone to another to hold it all together. And the joint capsule that I mentioned forms a seal which keeps liquid inside. So inside the joint, there is joint fluid. So the bones have a slippery cartilage covering and then the joint fluid between them. And all of that reduce, reduces friction and keeps the bones very slightly apart from each other, which allows them to move more easily. Because if they were jammed up right against each other, it would be, it would be hard work to get them to move against each other. And there are lots of different types of joints in our body, from those finger knuckle joints, which are called hinge joints, which are, have a similar type of joint to what we see at the knee. Then there's the ball and socket joint of the hip, as well as many others. And the type of joint determines what the normal range of movement or the range of motion is at that joint. So does the bone just bend and straighten, like the knee or the finger joints? Or does it go around in all directions, like we get at the shoulder, the hip joints? And it's really important to have this movement, not least because otherwise we'd all we'd all look like we're zombies from some apocalypse movie, you know, very stiff and rigid actions. But more important than not looking like zombies is that it's much more effective for movement. In other words, we can move faster and in a, in a more energy efficient way. When our bodies evolved back in our cave people days, movement was vital whether it was for getting away from danger or for being able to get out and hunt and gather food, water, find shelter. Our bodies evolved for movement and it is essential for our bo whole body health. It's no, it's no exaggeration to say that movement is life. It really is. Now, when we're talking about bones and the skeleton, particularly close to a chiropractor's heart is obviously the spine. And you might think from what I've just said about joints, you might just think, think it's just our arms and our legs that move 
and the spine is just the rod that holds us upright and doesn't move much in itself, but you'd be very wrong. The spine itself is actually made up of 24 separate bones, spinal bones or vertebrae. Another bit of trivia for you, out of those 24 spinal bones, seven of them are in our neck. We humans have seven bones in our neck, but it might surprise you to, to find out that all mammals also have seven bones in their neck. Yes, we really do have the same number of neck bones as a giraffe. They just happen to have massive ones. For extra points on a pub trivia quiz, I should let you know that there are two exceptions to this. Manatees and sloths do not have seven, but every other mammal on the planet does, including ourselves and giraffes. When I was training as a chiropractor, I was very envious of a friend who had a giraffe vertebra in his office. And actually, if anyone happens to have one and would like to donate it to the clinic, I would love one. We could make an amazing coffee table from it. <laughs> so at the front of your spine, these 24 spinal vertebrae just look like building blocks stacked on top of each other. They've got towards the front, they've got the squidgy discs in between them. And at the back, there are tiny joints where each vertebra meets the ones above and below. So at the top and bottom and the left and right, each vertebra has four of these tiny spinal joints. They're called the facet joints. So in total, we've got nearly 50 of these in the spine alone. And all of those tiny spinal joints or facet joints means that all the 24 vertebrae in your spine move separately and independently. That's what makes us bendy. We can bend, we can twist and so on. At least that's what should happen. But one of the things that can go wrong is that any of those joints can stiffen up and they stop moving as freely as they should. And in fact, that can happen to any joint in the body. And I'm not just talking about the stiffening up that you might think about with arthritis. I'm talking about stiffening up mechanically so the joint's not moving. And this can happen at any age and in any condition. This is basically biomechanics here. What, how well are all the joints moving? And if any of the spinal joints get jammed up, it might not cause an obvious effect that you even notice in terms of pain or anything. But equally, they can also get jammed up and get irritated and inflamed which can be painful. This is what brings many people into a chiropractor. Uh, the muscles around the area can also tighten up or even spasm up in an effort by your body to protect. Because as I mentioned earlier, bones protect softer, more vulnerable tissues and the spine is no exception. As well as holding us upright and allowing movement, it also gives protection to the spinal cord. Now the spinal cord is basically the main motorway of your nervous system. It effectively connects your brain to your body and allows communication between them. Your brain plus your spinal cord comprises what we call your central nervous system. So at the top of your body, your brain sends messages down into the spinal cord. And then there are nerves that branch out from the spinal cord between all of those spinal vertebrae to take the messages to their destination. If you've ever seen a model of a spine or if you've been in the clinic lately, you'll have seen our models. Between all the bones of the spine are yellow stringy things sticking out, which represent the nerves coming out from the spinal cord. And each nerve goes to very specific places. So we know that nerves coming out from between the bones in our neck, for example, go down into our arms and tell the muscles there what to do, for example. The nerves coming out from the lower back area go down into the legs. But they also go a little bit to the lower digestive system, the bowel, the bladder, as well as the reproductive organs and so on. And the nerves that come out from the rest of your spine, so the upper, the mid-back areas, go to everything else in between. 
So the skin and muscles of your torso, as well as the organs of the upper digestive system, your heart, your lungs, etc. So our brain sends all sorts of important instructions down the spinal cord and then out through these nerves to every part of your body, telling it what to do. But it's also just as important that the nerves are there for the messages that come back up to the brain from all of your body. The brain needs to know what's going on in your body and in all of your organs, for example, so it knows what instructions to issue next. It has to have that feedback loop going on. A manager of a business can't plan and make sure the business is working most effectively without having lots of data coming in from the factory floor, so to speak. And it's vital that your brain knows what's going on in order for any movement to take place. It needs that data coming in from all of your joints and muscles to initiate any kind of movement. For example, if I want to reach out and pick up my mug of tea here, then my brain needs, first of all, to know where the starting point of my hand is. And then I reach out and I go straight to the handle of the mug and I grab it. Just a straight line. No going to the right, then veer a bit to the left, then overcorrect back again and gradually zone in on it. No, my brain made sure my hand went straight there. It has just done an incredible amount of calculations to get the exact right combination of tiny muscle contractions in my shoulder, elbow and wrist muscles so that I could get the right trajectory and go straight to it. And maybe it needed to stiffen up my spinal joints and counterbalance with muscle contractions on the other side to stop me toppling over with the weight of the mug. And here's the important bit. The brain uses information from various sensory receptors in the body, including the ones in those spinal facet joints, to be able to do this. It has to have a constant feedback of information coming in to do any movement, both to start the movement and to continue the movement smoothly. And if any of those facet joints in your spine have jammed up and are not moving properly, then the muscles or the ligaments around it, the joint capsules, are not being stretched properly either. And that changes the signals that are going up to the brain, which then changes how your brain perceives what's happening. And it can then get things wrong. We tend to think of the information that goes into your brain as being all the information from the outside, so through our five senses, basically, sight, sound, taste, touch, and smell. But actually, the majority of input into the brain comes from inside your body. And a huge amount of that information is from the sensory receptors in all of your muscles, your tendons, your joint capsules, your ligaments, and so on. We can argue that your sixth sense is nothing to do with the paranormal. It's actually something called proprioception. Proprioception is your body's perception of the location of every part of your body, where your body is in space. We do a test especially with new patients in the clinic. You may have had this done when you came in first time round. We call it the turn test. And if, as I describe it, if you feel like you'd like to try it for yourself, feel free. But I will say, please have somebody else with you for reasons that will become clear. Because what I get people to do is I get people to stand and put their arms outstretched in front of them. So um, <laughs> zombie pose again. And I get them to close their eyes and I ask them to march on the spot for about 30 seconds, which seems a very long time when, you're, when you've got your eyes closed and somebody's watching you. And what I'm looking for is, do they stay in the same place, basically? And do their arms end up pointing in a different direction? And invariably, this happens. So people move sometimes even 90 degrees. They're almost facing the completely the different direction. They might take three steps forwards. Sometimes I have to stop the test early because they're going to bump into something. 
Hence, now you understand why I've said, if you're going to do it at home, please have someone else there. You might be surprised where you end up. Now, this doesn't tell us exactly what's wrong or where a problem is, but it gives a pretty good indication of how well the brain and the body are communicating because the brain is relying on the feedback from all the sensory receptors. And if you end up in a completely different place where you, when you thought you were staying still, then we know that the information is a bit garbled. And back problems and neck problems often relate to problems in those tiny spinal facet joints, usually where the movement's been restricted. And that affects the information going up to your brain and therefore affects your brain's perception of what's going on in your body. The old computer phrase, garbage in, garbage out. We don't use it so much these days, but the, the principle is the same here. You know, if, if the computer didn't get the right input, then it couldn't give the right output. And it's always really interesting to repeat that test a few sessions down the line and see if there are any changes, because quite often there are, and for the better. So people tend to stay more in the same place, maybe with less rotation or fewer steps forward. So our job as chiropractors is to check the spinal joints in, in particular, but also any of your joints in your body to make sure that they're moving properly. And if they're not, then we give them an, an adjustment of some sort to improve their movement. So we, we are trying to improve the biomechanics of your body. And there are lots of different ways to make this adjustment. It can be with a very gentle motion, a push here, a pull there, for example, or we can do using some of the gadgets you may have seen in clinic. Uh, for example, the clicky thing <laughs> or the woodpecker, those are the technical terms. Those of you who see me know that the techniques I use tend to be the very gentle ones. But sometimes a slightly more forceful manipulation type of adjustment is needed. And this is probably what most people associate with chiropractors, because that's the type of adjustment that can give a cracking or a popping noise. Same as when someone cracks a knuckle. And the noise is actually really a side effect of the manoeuvre, because in that joint fluid I spoke about earlier, there is nitrogen gas dissolved within it. And when the two bones are moved apart very quickly, it reduces the pressure of the fluid very quickly. So the gas pops out of the liquid. It's just like opening a bottle of champagne when you release the pressure of the gas inside and it gives a pop. But that's kind of a side effect. The important thing and our goal is that we're trying to get the joint to move better. And by doing that and by improving the biomechanics or the movement of the joints in your spine in particular, then your brain is better able to communicate effectively with your body. So spinal health really is absolutely vital for your body to work properly all around. And because of that, it can influence the health of your whole body. So next week, I will explain to you exactly how and why our bones get weaker as we age, and more importantly, what you can do about it. In the meantime, I'm wishing you all the best health and happiness. Take care.